Jonah 4, 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to tarnish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? The word of the Lord. Thanks, Neil. Um, we've, been, we've been with Jonah for the last uh, few weeks, for about a month now. And, you know, we've seen a lot of things in this, this really short book of the Bible. Um, this book of the Bible that we might have thought kind of, uh, maybe this is sort of a children's story. Maybe it's just a parable. But what we've seen is that it really is a picture of the way that God pursues his people. And we've seen Jonah, his prophet, run away from God. He doesn't like what God likes. He doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And so he heads in the other direction and God pursues him. He gets thrown into the heart of the sea and God pursues him and brings him back out of the sea, puts him on dry land, and then he sends him back into Nineveh, this place that Jonah did not want to go, a people that Jonah despised. And what we saw last week is much to Jonah's surprise, the entire city begins to lament and to mourn over their sin, and they begin to restore what was broken. That the king sends out these edicts and says, everybody, we need to cry out to God and stop your violence, stop your abuse, stop the evil that you practice. And what we find is that Nineveh gives Jonah an education and what repentance actually looks like, a repentance that leads to health and restoration. And that's where we find Jonah this morning, that at the end of chapter 3, it says God relented from his anger against Nineveh. And here we find Jonah, and we find his response. We'll look at it in part this week and a little bit as well next week. Let me pray before we do that. Father, we... um, We thank you that you are a God who is compassionate and steadfast in your loving kindness, that you are slow to anger, that these are words that we hear over and over again in your scripture that describe you. And uh, Father, what we find in this passage and maybe what we find in ourselves this morning is that um, this question that we've been asking is, is our heart like God's heart? Are we as compassionate as you are? And Father, I pray that you would allow us this morning by your word and your spirit to examine ourselves to come once again to the cross of Jesus. Um, That you might transform us and change us and grow us into the people that you have designed us to be so that we might be used by you in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of, the, one of the great moments in cinema history is in one of my favorite Christmas movies. And you might be thinking, man, what Christmas movie is that? It's probably like It's a Wonderful Life. That is one of my favorites. Miracle on 34th Street, White Christmas. You think of all the classics. No, I'm talking about How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Kids, you've seen How the Grinch, somebody got to laugh, thanks, you get a, you, you've seen How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, I'm not talking about the, the Jim Carrey 
like live action remake that came out a few years ago. If you like that, I'm sorry, it's awful. But I'm talking about the old, the old cartoon. You remember the old cartoon? And, you know, the Grinch is obviously named the Grinch because he is bitter and he's angry. And he finds himself all alone except for this miserable little dog that's with him. It's a a dog, right? And he's always peering down on this, this town called Whoville, and he despises this town. And while there's many scenes in that, in that little movie that I love, there's, there's one that just jumped out to me. And for some reason in my mind this week, I started thinking about this scene where the Grinch goes into the town and, and he steals on Christmas Eve all of the presents. And he packs them all up in bags and he puts them on his sleigh. And there's this point after that where he finds himself on this precipice, right? And the, the sleigh is going over the edge and he grabs a hold of it. And he's hanging on to it, and the narrator comes on and begins talking. And the narrator puts this x-ray over the chest of the Grinch. You remember this? And he's straining and holding the sleigh, and this x-ray slips over his heart. And what we see is that the Grinch, he has a heart, but it's really small. In fact, it's three times too small, and we see in this moment that his heart begins to change and it grows bigger and bigger. It like bursts the the x-ray. And I think that what is happening there is also happening here. I think that we've been seeing it this whole time with, with, you know, I told you last week that the conflict really in this narrative is not really between Jonah and Nineveh, and it's not really even between God and Nineveh. It's really with God and Jonah. That God is working on Jonah by pushing Jonah into a place that Jonah doesn't want to go. That God is pushing Jonah to see his own heart by having him interact with people that he doesn't want to interact with. And God is continually sort of putting the x-ray over Jonah's heart. And in putting the x-ray over Jonah's heart and then recording this and then putting it in the Bible and then having Israelites for centuries read this and then having us many, many, many years later sitting here reading this, what it's doing for us is it holds a mirror up to us. And it's asking us this question is that does our heart Does it really look like God's heart? Do the way that we view our enemies, do the way that we view people who don't look like us, is the way that we view people who may not have the same culture as our, is our heart towards them the same as as God's heart? And I think that it's a somewhat painful thing, right? It's the reason Jonah ran away. It's the reason that we want to run away because what we discover is that we often discover is that maybe my heart is a, is, it's a couple of sizes too small. Maybe my heart is actually shriveled a little bit. And this is what's happening really vividly at the end of this book, in this last chapter. In this turn, I mean, if you can imagine, you've all heard probably this story before and you've read chapter 4 maybe before, but you can imagine hearing it maybe read aloud for the first time a couple of a hundred years after it happened and getting to the point where Jonah preaches in Nineveh and everybody repents and you think, what's going to happen next? And this is what happens next. It's this turn that would have been shocking. 
It's not shocking to us because we've been reading between the lines as we've gone, but it would have been shocking to them that Jonah, who has been shown so much grace and so much mercy by God, what's revealed is that he really has an allergy to grace. You know what an allergy causes in a lot of people? An allergy causes a violent reaction to something. And this is what we see in Jonah this morning, that he has a violent reaction, that he is displeased exceedingly. The language is incredibly strong, that Jonah is ticked off by this. That Jonah has an allergy to grace. And it sounds weird to say that someone could have an, an allergy to grace because grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. Grace is a free gift. Grace is something that is unmerited. It's unearned. It's something that is lavished upon you. And it seems weird to say that we could have an allergy to grace. Who doesn't like a free gift? I think it turns out that what we see in this passage, and maybe as we start to think about ourselves, is that it turns out that our sinful selves vigorously resist grace. And they vigorously resist grace because they resist a free gift, because to receive grace, to love grace, to want to exhibit grace, means that I have to see the depth to which I actually need grace. God has taken Jonah by the hand. He's walking him down this path. This path that goes down and down and down so that Jonah could see himself more fully. You know, Flannery O'Connor put it really well at the beginning. I put this quote at the, the front of your bulletin. She said, the notion that grace is healing omits the fact that before it heals, it cuts. It cuts with the sword that Christ came to bring. All human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and change is painful. I want to tell you this, this morning that as I've been walking through Jonah and I've been thinking about Jonah and I've been studying Jonah, that what I realize is that I, as your pastor, have an allergy to grace too. That I love it. That I preach it. That I talk about it. That I, I, I love grace. And at the same time, when the x-ray is really put over my heart, what I find is that I also have this violent reaction to it sometimes because what I want is what I want is to say that, yes, I deserve this. Yes, I've earned this. Yes, I am worthy of this because what I want to be able to say is that I am special and that I am better and that I am better than that other person over there, that I'm different, that I'm unique. And of course, if we say that, what we're admitting is that that is the opposite of the definition of grace. And so the x-ray kind of has to always be put back over our heart. This is how God continues to work on us, right? And this is the sickness that grace exposes. Ironically, the sickness that grace exposes is that we might not love grace as much as we thought we love grace. And this is what's exposed in Jonah this morning and that God may expose in us. Why would God want to expose that in us? Because God made us for himself. God created us in his image. What does that mean? It means that God created you, every single person in this room, to have a heart like God's. 
He created you to reflect his love in the world. That's why he made us. He created you to have hearts just like his. And what all of us know is that the fall has corrupted each one of our hearts to such a degree that we might not understand just how shriveled they are. And so God keeps working on us. Even when we belong to him, he keeps taking us by the hand down this path and letting us see a little bit more what our heart is actually like. And for Jonah this morning, frankly, it's a little embarrassing. But to be embarrassed might be the best thing for us sometimes because it brings humility. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and he brings his change, and it prepares us to be conduits of his grace and his love and his restoration and his reconciliation in this world. So this morning, what I want to just talk about is just one thing. What does God's compassion reveal? When God is compassionate, when he is compassionate, maybe we can think about it in terms, when God is compassionate to people that we might not want him to be compassionate toward, what what does it reveal? You know, it's funny because when Jonah goes into Nineveh and he preaches this sermon, in a hundred, I mean, we're told at the end of this chapter, Nineveh was about 120,000 people. And you see this entire city lament and mourn and cry out to God in repentance. This is an enormous ministry success, right? I mean, this is amazing. If, if, if Jonah were alive today, you can imagine the response. Like, Jonah, if he had an Instagram account, you know, would have a picture of a, a huge crowd, and it's like 120,000 converted in the, the world's shortest sermon. And like the mega churches would be calling Jonah, the book deals would be rolling in. For Jonah, they would want him to write things, you know, about how to transform your city in just three days. His memoir, you know, we could think of the titles. I've thought of a few. I mean, his memoir, you know. Um, comes out, and he's vomited up for good, right? It's kind of a play on words. You know, from 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 the belly to the bounty. I don't know. Like, you go on and on. All the book deals are rolling in. Why? Because Jonah is like a huge ministry success. This is how we we would look at him. But we find Jonah's response to God's compassion is the most vivid illustration of what is actually deep, in his heart. And, and, and this should cause us to pause, right? This causes us to pause because on Jonah's, on the surface, Jonah belonged to God. Jonah knows God. Jonah is actually God's prophet. Jonah has done a lot of good ministry that we looked at in the past. Jonah is still, in his heart, allergic to grace. We felt it all along, but here it's just brought just raging to the surface that he wanted this sermon that he went in to preach. All right, I'll go preach it. He wanted it to bring condemnation. He wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed by God, so much so that he says to God these incredible words. He says, please take my life from me. Please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than it is to live. 120,000 people are repenting and turning to God. And Jonah's response is, 
kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. Why would he say that? Because the thing, the only conclusion we can draw is the thing that Jonah was truly living for has now been taken from him. The only reason you want to die is that you don't have any reason left to live. And Jonah is saying, I don't have any reason left to live. And that must mean the thing that he was actually living for has now been taken away from him. What is the thing that he's been living for? We could say it in a lot of different ways. Um, But it seems like Jonah has a deep-seated nationalism and a deep-seated racism and a deep-seated bigotry. That Jonah sees himself and his people as special. And the thought that those people would be a part of his group, well, you might as well just kill me before we let that happen. He desired so badly for Israel to remain pure from people like Nineveh that he would rather die than have him be a part of it. And he's literally talking. You think about how ironic this is at this time, that Jonah's actually talking to Yahweh when he says this. He's talking to the maker and the creator of the living earth, And he says, I mean, he's having a conversation with him, and he says, kill me, I don't have anything else to live for. Really? You're talking to God, which we have to conclude means that although Jonah knew God, and in a sense, I think we could definitely say that although Jonah loved God, that there was a God in Jonah's life that was more powerful to him than the living and true God. That Jonah was trying to hold two gods together and God and the, re- and the true God is splitting those apart and saying you just can't do that. One of my, one of my dearest friends I met while I, was, while I was in seminary. And I met him on the first day of class. And when I met him, I didn't think I wanted to be his friend. In fact, I, when I saw him, he came up to me and he had this really thick country accent, and he was wearing a camouflage jacket and big old boots. It looked like he just got done hunting. Come to find out, he grew up in a trailer in in southern Mississippi with a single parent, and I honestly thought, well, I don't really have anything in common with this guy. I'm probably not going to be friends with him. And isn't it beautiful the way that God works and the way that God brings people into your life, even in subtle ways like that, because through this beautiful man, what God showed me is that you are, you know what you are, Tim? You're a snob. You say you love grace. Here's a guy who actually goes to the same seminary and believes the same things you do, and your first thought about him is that mm, you look him up and down and say, we're probably not going to be friends, and he becomes one of my best friends. And he continues to show me what grace really looks like. A number of years ago, he called me and he said, and I'll I'll try to imitate him a little bit. He said, hey man, hey Tim. I love this man. He said, hey Tim, I need you to pray for me. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, he was down in Texas at the time. Um, He still is, and he was doing ministry there, campus ministry. And at his church that he attended, um, 
there was these two there was a young girl there who had who had become pregnant and she wasn't going to be able to take care of, of these twins by herself. And so she asked in people in the congregation, she wanted somebody in the congregation to adopt her babies. And so he said, well, there's, you know, he explains the situation. He said, you know, we prayed about it and we're going to adopt those babies, Tim. And I, and I was like, I know you are. I'm not surprised at all that you're going to adopt those babies. And I said, that's awesome. I cannot wait to meet them. What what can I pray for? How can I pray? And he said, well, he said, you know, um, the thing is, they're, the, the babies, they're African-American babies. And, you know, we, we just love them and we want them to be a part of our family, but we're not sure about how our family back in Mississippi is going to feel about that. And he said, particularly my mom. He said, my mom, I'm a little worried about. And I said, okay, well, I'll pray for that. And I hung up and I thought, you know, I've met his mom, and his mom's just so sweet, and his mom is a believer, and in seminary, I remember him sending his, his mom books that he was reading, that like, books like I didn't want to read, she would read, right? She was like devouring stuff and say, send me more, and she taught Sunday school at her church, and I thought, you know, you got nothing to worry about. And so he calls her, and he tells her, you know, mama... We're going to adopt these twin babies at our church. And she's so excited. And he said, well, Mama, I I do need to tell you that they're not going to look like the rest of the family. He said, Mama, they're black, and we're just so excited that they're now going to be a part of our family. And he said that there was this long silence. And he said when she spoke again, her voice had completely changed. And she said... I knew you would go and do something like this. If you adopt those babies, you're no longer a part of our family. Sometimes it's an act of compassion and an act of love that reveals our hearts, that reveals that maybe deep down there is an allergy to grace when it is shown to people that we may not think are good enough for it. And Jonah said the same thing to God. He said, I knew you would do something like this. I just knew it. I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you were going to be compassionate. I knew that you were going to be steadfast in your loving kindness. (laughs) How did Jonah know it? Jonah knew it because he had seen it. And he loved it when it was shown toward his people. He loved Jonah's quoting scripture back to God to impugn God. Jonah is saying to God what's really said in Exodus 34 when Israel had majorly sinned and they hadn't repented at all and God was continually gracious and compassionate and slow to anger against them. And he's using, ironically, those same words to condemn God. It was a time when Israel had majorly blundered, and God said, I'm going to be compassionate towards you. Jonah knew what that looked like. How do you quote a text where God had grace on your people and then resent him, quote it back to him, resenting him for having grace on other people? I think that's called the deepest hypocrisy possible. 
One of my friends put it this way. He said, if you look at another group of people and you think they are too faulty for God's grace, then you empty the word of its very meaning. If you look at another group of people and you say they're too faulty for God's grace, you empty the word of its very meaning. And we know what that looks like in everyday life. And sometimes we go, yeah, Jonah messed up, right? Jonah's got a problem. And I said at the very beginning of this, let's be careful with how we treat Jonah. (laughs) Because Jonah's meant to be a picture of us. Jonah's meant to be a picture of you and me. And we have this standard in everyday life. We know what it's like to hold ourselves to one standard and to hold everybody else to another standard. We know what it's like when, you know, maybe we spent an entire week um, not doing what we were supposed to do, but we like binge watched more Netflix than we thought was humanly possible. And what we said at the end of that was like, you know, I just really needed a break. I was working so hard and I just needed to rest. I needed really, I need a little self-care. And then we hear somebody, like another friend does the same thing. And we're like, they are lazy. No wonder their life is chaotic. I mean, they're never getting anything done. All they do is watch Netflix. You show up late to a meeting, like five minutes, ten minutes late, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm busy, I am, and like traffic's bad and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, if they knew kind of how how much stuff I had going on, then they would understand while I was late. And then like the next week, somebody shows up late for your meeting, and you're like, their life is out of control. They have no self-discipline. Like, I mean, they need to get a grip. They don't care about other people. I've been sitting here waiting for five minutes. We know what it's like to hold ourselves to one standard and to hold other people to another standard. We can even see this in our hearts, this allergy to grace, even when we're doing things that are incredibly good. Sometimes that's the sneakiest place where we see it. When we're maybe helping somebody or serving somebody who's in need and what kind of creeps into our heart and our head is, man, they're, they're, we'd never say it out loud, but man, they're really, they should be grateful to have somebody like me who's given up my time to help them. That's the seed of an allergy to grace. And this is what Jonah, what's revealed in him. It's this, that, that his, the other God that he was worshiping is this kind of nationalistic pride that, you know, as we've said over and over again, I love people and I love to interact with people that look like me and talk like me and share my cultural traditions and understand me. But if other people come into that that don't share those things, Jonah doesn't want that. Jonah and Israel, you know, they're singing together, proud to be an Israelite. Or at least I know I'm not a Ninevite. (laughs) Jonah was for his people. Jonah loved his people. But Jonah was against those people and what he wanted, and this is the rub, and this is what God is showing him, is that he wanted God to share his biases, and he wanted God to share his bigotry. That's why he's mad enough to die. God, I want to make you in my image, and I want you to share the same racism that I share. And, you know, there's a lot of nationalism that is going on currently in the American church. 
I mean, you see it, we see it all the time. Can we just talk about it? There's a lot of nationalism that's going on. There's a lot, what I mean by that, there's a lot of equating the church of Jesus Christ specifically with our nation, with one country, with America. And I'm going to tell you, I love our country, and I love that we can worship here this morning without threat, and I love the liberties that we have. But if we look at people around the globe, and if we look at even other people within our own city and context, and we feel as if we can despise them rightfully, if we take our liberty to oppress others, even in our mind, it is a contradiction of grace. And the x-ray is slammed up against our heart, and what we see is that there is some shriveling going on, that it's way too small. It's a contradiction of grace that's rooted in pride. And I just want to end by saying, asking you guys this, is, is your heart being changed? Is your heart being changed? Not necessarily do you have, I want you to learn more. I want us to study more. I want us to love the Bible more. But is your heart being changed? Is the way that you look at other people being changed? How does he change us? How does he conform us to his image? Jonah shows us is that God often uses other people and he uses circumstances and he uses difficulty and he drags us into places that we don't want to go and he pulls us, like we talked about last week, outside of places that are comfortable for us. Why does he do that? So that he can show us our hearts, so that he can soften our hearts, so that he can grow our hearts so that our hearts begin to look more like his. And I would just say, be attentive. Be attentive to what his spirit is doing when he has you talk to somebody this week. Be attentive to what he's doing when he brings a circumstance into your life and you're thinking, this is the worst thing that could happen to me this week, God. Why are you doing this? Be attentive that God is working something that is good. Be attentive to the way that he's doing it because it's not by accident. And dear people of grace and peace, God loves you. It's amazing. He actually loves us. He actually loves us and he sent his prophet into our neighborhood that was infested with enemies. That's us. So that he might redeem us. And just like Jonah, he's at work in us through his spirit to restore us to what he created us to be. And he does that even in the valleys, and maybe the best work he does is even in the valleys. Why? So that us, so that we might be a light to our neighborhood, that we might be a light to our city, that we might be a blessing to the nations, that we might continue to tear down dividing walls of hostility that exist because the gospel is the only thing that can actually tear those things down. And the gospel is alive and it is a well, a well alive in you so that we might be a symbol of the power of his grace to resurrect and to restore people who were once dead. And to bring together people who were once divided. Let me pray. Father, would you, through the finished work of your Son and the continuing work of your Spirit, would you continue to break down walls in our own hearts?
walls of hostility that divide us, maybe even in this own, this, our own congregation, would you help us um, to learn what it means to be gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness just like you are? Father, we can't muster that in, in, in ourselves. We can't, um, we can't do it. So even when you show us our inability to do it, would you use that to change us? and to conform us to your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.